Welcome to Nothing New Under the Sun. It's a podcast about those majestic and monotonous movie remakes, those franchises that Hollywood, they, they just won't let them die. On today's episode, uh, we're going to be talking about Suicide Squad. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Dave, and this here, as always, is my co-host, Mike. So what's new today, my dude? Nothing's new, Dave. Uh, I believe at the end of last week's, or the last episode, we said that we were going to be covering uh, Jungle Cruise. But then uh, Suicide Squad came out, and I watched it, and I liked it a whole lot, and I texted you. And I was like, listen, we just watched two pretty terrible movies for our last episode. Um, I really like Suicide Squad. If we could just cover this and not watch a potentially bad movie in uh, Jungle Cruise for the next episode, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> and you agreed. And for some reason, it just slipped my mind that I'd probably have to go back and watch 2016 Suicide Squad yeah, to prepare say, for this episode. This is even um, worse. So I, I kind of put myself into a trap there. <laughs> yeah, yes. talk about out of the frying pan and into the fire. Jesus. <sighs> Because that movie's not good. Um, it's it is it is a mess in every uh, every <laughs> way about it. Um, Talking about Suicide Squad sixteen. Yes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, we were saying earlier. I said I think this might be the least surprising takes like our audience will ever hear from yes. us. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if you if you felt you were gonna listen to this episode and I was going to say like I was going to argue with Mike and be like this the 2016 movie is great and the 2021 movie is bad and that's not how it's going to be you know how this is going to go or if we were going to praise the comics over the movies themselves uh- <laughs> I have never read the comics I know that's you, where sure I wanted have. to jump in um so the Suicide Squad comic um we both grew up reading comic books right but we were mostly uh for me at least I was mostly a Marvel boy I don't know 100 um, percent and I, I read know, I read uh, some Turok too. I don't know if Turok. I don't know if Turok is uh <laughs> you know the dinosaur. I don't hunter. remember which brand Turok technically uh is under, but I would the most I'd branch out from Marvel into DC was kind of Batman, and I know you were a little bit into Green Lantern, but neither of us picked up Suicide Squad as kids. And I right. it's like a huge bummer because reading about what the original uh John Osterman won uh reading about what the original John Osterman run was Seems like it would be perfect if we would have caught this in like our teenage years. This would have been right up our alley. Yeah, a hundred percent. It strikes me that these movies that this is like what they're going for, right? This is like the teenage edginess humor, <laughs> right? Right. Well, that's that's James Gunn's whole thing, right? Yeah. Going yep. from uh, from trauma to here, uh, he's he's the guy who does the uh, the inappropriate b-movie childish humor whatever wait james gunn did the toxic avenger james gunn all right so we'll we'll get to it but no james gunn got his start at trauma he um he was most famous for tromeo and juliet uh uh, okay which is uh it's it's exactly what you'd think it would be knowing it's from trauma uh the toxic avenger is the trauma golden uh boy but there's lots of different trauma movies um, and they have oh, many different okay. uh, directors that work for them making di- many different like little projects. And they're all of the same vein. Trauma is sure. a, uh, a genre almost in itself at this point, as much as it is a franchise, right? You know what you're getting with Trauma. It's always going to be uh, B-movie, um, really exploitative, lots of violence, lots of gore, probably some boobs. So, Is Toxic Avenger a remake? Like, Because like, I saw that shit on Off-Broadway <laughs> for a college Fuck. class. I'm sure um, at some point down the line, Toxic Avenger became a remake, and I know that they are planning in the future to remake it. So stay tuned for our Toxic Avenger episode uh, whenever that comes down. 
But the uh, Suicide Squad is a team that was created in DC Comics uh, in 1959. They were in one uh, issue of The Brave and the Bold, number 25, back when comics just were random uh, pulp magazines. I kind of miss this era of comics, where you just pick up, like, the adventure one or the sci-fi one, you know? Like, right. uh, Batman they're, didn't... They're like there was no flicks. Batman comic, there was detective comics. And Batman yes. would show up sometimes, but you just pick it up and know you're getting, like, five great detective stories. <laughs> uh, noir, noir detective comics. Right, exactly. Um, so, The Brave and the Bold, number 25, had the team of Rick Flagg, Karen Grace, Jess Bright, and Hugh Evans teaming up as Task Force X, or the Suicide Squad. Um, and they were called to uh, go on a secret like government mission because they had all watched someone die in some horrific way in the past. They like all had some trauma that they were dealing with, so they were chosen as the Suicide Squad. It really had. Yeah. It was. That's it, pretty dark for like a fifties comic. <laughs> it's, it's a really short. It has nothing to do with what you'd think of as the Suicide Squad now. Um, it's a very, very different iteration. It's just like a fun, pulpy World War II kind of book. You know, secret government mission. Uh, they have to comb some island for something. Uh, between that, there was a book called The Suicide Squadron, which was similarly about like people who were traumatized, but was not like associated with the original suicide squad at all i think dc was like just kind of dabbling with maybe playing with that idea again but then came again along uh john ostrander uh john ostrander was originally an actor with the organic theater company in chicago and he moved on to writing comics in 1983 and his first couple comics were just based on plays that the theater company was known for putting on from time to time until eventually he made enough friends uh within dc that they brought him on to write the sequel to Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, oh, Legends. Wow. The like, follow-up big crossover story uh, was mostly written by this guy. And along the way, during Legends, came the Suicide Squad, the team that is, we know them today. Um, John was looking for a team that he could use, and uh, I can't find what team. It, he wanted to do something else that was being written at the time. And they're and then they uh, they're like, well, we have this Suicide Squad thing in like our back catalog of unused ideas right now, uh, and if you want to use that, you can. And at first he was like, ah, oh, what is this? Like this weird like thing from the fifties? Like I don't want to, I don't know what this is. Uh, I don't know if this is gonna fit into like the plan that I have. But then he realized that he could take it and do the modern take on it, where, where he could take these uh, like one-off super villains. And just throw them into this team and flush out their character a little bit more than they were allowed in, like, the one time they were robbing a bank and Superman stopped them or whatever, you know? Right. Like, it's, interesting, like, it's interesting when, like, they want to take a chance on a writer and they're like, you know, they're like, oh, what can I write? And they're like, oh, yeah, here, take this fucking, like, worthless property and right, do whatever you right, want right. with it. Here, take, it was, Squir- take Squirrel Girl and do whatever you want with her. It was almost like backwards version of that because he was writing the legend storyline for uh for the entire dc comics universe and he just needed this team somewhere in there for whatever plot line that he wrote and was like i want to use this team and they're like no you can't use that team but you could use this other thing and he was like all right uh, i guess (laughs) but then that other thing turned out being like his main thing for the rest of his career like it's the thing he's famous for now Uh, beautiful accident yeah, worked out super great. Uh, he was really inspired by the uh, the Suicide Squad plotline um, of being this like covert government um, agency, and especially in the way that he could use these one-off villains 
uh, because nobody cares what he did with them. It was, it was complete blank slates. Uh, he could he could kill them off or um, or change their stories or do whatever, and no one like no one thought about it. Like it, it's so the new Suicide Squad does that so well, where you take someone like Polka Dot Man, who is a comic character from the '60s or whatever. Like maybe he robbed a bank and Batman stopped him, but now you're giving him like a real fleshed out story, and it's probably not similar to anything that happened in the comics before. But who cares? It's Polka Dot Man. Like no one right. gives a shit. So. And, and they acknowledge that in the movie. They're like, oh, what do right. you do? Throw polka dots at people? <laughs> right, right. But that's, that was exactly the kind of freedom that really drew him to the project. Um, and he created Amanda Waller as like just a typical uh, like government agency person. This is the same kind of person who is like behind the desk at the DMV when you show up. Or um, if you're applying for some sort of state license, the person that you call... And he's yelling you, yelling at you on the phone about <laughs> your your status. Uh, what would you know about that? What would I know about that? <laughs> I wouldn't know anything. Have you ever about gone through that. anything like that? No, no, never, never before once. Um, those, all those people are, are nice and kind, and not like Amanda Waller at all. I'm sure, but <laughs> uh, she's she's supposed to be that like typical hard ass like bureaucrat who's just doing just doing the job, right? Um, and she uh, she's purposely made to look not like somebody out of a um a, a superhero comic book uh like mold she's yeah. purposely made yeah. to be like a more like overweight uh like average looking person who would just be just a normal person working at one of these bureaucratic systems and that's viola davis right yes that is viola davis uh who plays her in the 2016 and the 2021 version of the suicide squad which is real excellent casting uh for sure yeah, um, and John, she's like one of the three or four people that is in both movies, right? Yes, I guess we should yeah. say. I, I guess we should say that the Suicide Squad, like the Suicide Squad, is not necessarily a full remake, right? Like it just it's it's like a soft remake, the sequel sort of situation. Well, we'll get to it when we get to the movie, but yes, it's it's a it's a soft reboot or a a lazy sequel. <laughs> I would right. call it like yeah. they. The, they don't want you to remember that the first one came out. They, they wish it kind of didn't. It did really bad. It was very poorly recepted. Um, actually, didn't. It made a ton of money, but it was very poorly recepted. No one really liked it. It was very unpopular. Um, and so they want to use a lot of the actors in which they created relationships with along the way, but they don't want to remind you that uh, that other movie had already come out when going to see this one. Which uh, might have plagued the uh, the release of this one a little bit. The fact that it's connected to the first one. Because this one is dropping hard. Uh, it had an over 80% drop in its uh, second weekend in theaters. Oh, shit. And look, it's pandemic times. There's, there's lots of reasons why people aren't going to the movies. But it's also a very, very steep drop. It means everyone who was interested in seeing this movie went and saw it the first weekend. And for whatever reason, other people aren't being convinced, no matter how good word of mouth is. Uh, which it is extremely good. Um, yeah. It has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's people really like the new movie, but uh, for and, some reason people now, aren't seeing it. And now when they see that Nothing New Under the Sun is releasing their Suicide Squad episode, they'll say, shit, I have to go and see that before I listen to the episode. <laughs> right, right. Everybody rush to HBO Max uh, or, or your local theater, whatever you're safest with. Uh the John Osterman's Volume 1 of The Suicide Squad ran from 1987 to 1992, um, and it was basically just a story about these characters going on uh, like covert government missions the way 
that you would think characters of that time frame would. Um, he was really writing to like a a uh, a 1980s counterculture at the time, right? We're past Watergate. We're past the Bay of Pigs. Um, there's kind of this thought within the uh, social consciousness of the U.S. that the government uh, co-ops uh, 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 missions and um, uh, organizations aren't always on the up and up, aren't always doing the uh, the best thing. And of course, in a DC universe where the government has um, uh, the ability to take these super-powered villains under their control, they're going to use them to go do the the Bay of Pigs or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. right. Um, so that's kind of what all the stories uh, in, entailed. It was always like uh, covert ops missions with this uh, tax, task force-esque... Ugh, fucking... It's, <laughs> it's hard to say task force X. Uh, say task force X. Sometimes <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> with this task force... <laughs> fucking guys. <laughs> with <laughs> with this task force X, X team... Uh, Blockbuster, Bronze Tiger, Captain Boomerang, Deadshot, and Enchantress were the original team um, that comprised Task Force X uh, in the original uh, Legend series. Um, during it, Blockbuster dies, and um, Deadshot uh, takes down some creature with an experimental laser rifle, and uh, Waller dismisses the whole group, um, except for uh, Captain Boomerang, who uh, gets recaptured at the end. Um, I want to say that the idea of the Suicide Squad, like taking a bunch of one-off villains that probably have, they're like a one-trick pony. They're like, ah, let's have this one bad guy do his one bad guy thing and then get killed gruesomely is brilliant, right? Like the idea of it is so cool, especially because, especially because in comics, a lot of times the villains have cooler powers than the superheroes do. Right. So you're like, it would be sweet to be rooting for the fucking giant shark to eat somebody, you know, or whatever. But you don't necessarily want to see a full three-hour movie of Pete Davidson's character, right? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's very different in the, in the, from reading a comic to watching a movie, right? But yeah. it is, like, just the fact that all of these heroes from the DC comics uh, go back to when you're in, like, the Silver Age or the Golden Age of comics, like the, the 40s or the 50s, the 60s, uh, like you're the most of the comics that you're getting are just one-off villains of the week like especially yes. like like right. old batmans or old flashes right um a lot of the suicide squad characters throughout its initial um runs uh in the comics are all almost entirely batman and flash characters because they have the most interesting uh villains like the rogues gallery right like captain boomerang uh for the flash or deadshot for batman just these random um random one-off villains that showed up to to rob a bank or like deadshot literally his his whole thing was um convincing gotham that he was really the good guy and batman was the bad guy and then he was foiled in like a couple comics and that was that was it um and then i think he was only really put on this team because he came back uh with a brand new costume around this time that looked super badass he went from like being Uh, like a literally like a top hat wearing like a magician looking guy to the dead shot that you know now with like the full face thing with the eye laser and everything. Um, It was right around the time this comic was written that he got the new costume. So I feel like that's, that has to tie into why he uh, was put on the team or vice versa. Well, he was, he was, he got the new costume because of the team, but um, it, it must be wild to be the dude who works at DC or Marvel. That's like the head director of 
shit that is canon, you know, right. like, like, you're like, okay, we have these 37 characters that we could do stuff with if you want, because it wouldn't break any other sort of continuities. Here. Right. They're like, you, you can pick from the calculator and like Mixius Pitalik's wife. And, and calendar man. Like, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, DC is notorious for switching up their uh, continuity. Are you aware of that? Or is that uh, news to you? Sort of. Um, I have a couple of friends from college that are really into the DC comics. And so sometimes I'll have them try and kind of explain things to me. So uh, in in Marvel Comics, uh, the their timeline is pretty stagnant for all of the history of Marvel, right? If you're re- picking up a Captain America comic, anything you remember that ever happened to this character probably happened sometime, you know, roughly in the last four or five years, at, you know, at some point. And right. uh, and now is the present, and the present is always when you're reading it, and <laughs> anything that happened to the character was, was sometime in the last couple of years. You know, it's whatever. Um, DC has taken this approach that every couple, uh, every decade or two, they need to completely switch up their uh, continuity and start from scratch, or else new readers will be completely turned off, which ends up actually <laughs> just turning off all their readers every time. I was going to say, as it makes it way more confusing. It's an epic fuck up that they just keep repeating every time, and I don't know why. But the, as we mentioned, the Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, that happened before the Suicide Squad was invented, that was a crossover uh, series that was meant to literally uh, put a cap on all of the DC Universe stories until that point, and then start from a new, uh, new blank uh, square. So right. they could just start tell new stories without uh, having readers having to know like 50 years of comic book lore like wonder woman debuted in world war ii and now we're still writing comic or wonder woman stories um in 1980 whatever you know like yeah, it's time I, to like start anew so that our readers have a number one uh jump off point to right. take these characters on the stories that we're writing um, i assume and, i assume though that that new continuity just becomes another one of the several that you have to consider or did they really right, correct exactly yeah. <laughs> so, uh so dc before they had the um the crisis on infinite earths all of their comics um had started branching out into elseworld stories and uh uh multiverse stories where they had um all of their earths numbered by like earth one and earth two and earth x and earth 20 and earth whatever i, don't, I sure. know this is i i know this is this is the non-dc uh readers version of this i'm very sorry all you dc fans out there who are ripping your hair out as I'm trying to get through this explanation of uh, the entire history of DC Comics uh, in their universe? Um, but there, they there's a um, there's an XKCD comic, a <laughs> web comic, and it's like um, it's like the engineer is like he's like problem. He's like there are nine competing USB charger standards. He's like we need to make one that everybody uses and then like the next panel is like problem there are 10 competing usb standards <laughs> <laughs> so dc decides to combine all their universes in crisis on infinite earths um this Superboy from one universe makes it over to another universe and just starts murdering everybody it gets really freaking epic and metal um he destroys all of the teen titans and he kicks uh, crypto the super dog in half um, yeah. Yeah, it just it gets super bad, uh, and then that universe ends, and then a new universe is formed uh, 
in which the Suicide Squad exist um, in the Legends and everything. And then eventually that universe comes to an end, I believe, with Flashpoint um, to put a cap on that decade of stories from 19, uh, the late 80s until um, uh, the 2000s, um, 2001, I believe, where uh, the, the Flash um, goes back in time and does a whole the, the whole time travel story messes with time a whole lot. That's where you get uh, Wonder Woman fighting um, Aquaman and Batman isn't uh, Bruce Wayne, but it's um, his father. And it's this whole crazy story because um, <laughs> because Flash went back in time and messed with the timeline. So now like the timeline's all fucked and he has to put it back. Uh, it's a really, really cool story. I highly suggest anybody check out uh, Flashpoint. They're going to make some sort of movie version of it for the next uh, Flash movie that they just finished filming. But um, it doesn't look like it's going to be anything like the original story whatsoever. It's mostly just going to be like, uh, what if the Flash ran into Michael Keaton's Batman? So that's, <laughs> that's a big bummer uh, for me personally, because <laughs> uh, the original story is super cool. And you're just going to cut all of it. But okay, sure. Um, after Flashpoint, uh, the Suicide Squad gets a relaunch during the New 52 uh, the New 52 was a uh, move by DC Comics to, just like I said, restart their continuity. Um, they're restarting again with uh, the Suicide Squad being one of their most popular comics that they sold um, previously to this. So in September 2011, as part of the New 52, Amanda Waller again gets the Suicide Squad together um, with Deadshot again as the team's leader. Um, and this time they added Harley Quinn and uh, Killer Shark to the team. So this became like the the version of Suicide Squad that we most get in all of media kind of going forward, where you have right. Deadshot, uh, Captain Boomerang, Killer Shark, and Harley Quinn all involved as main team members with Amanda Waller leading the team. Um, this was a very controversial book, though, because they changed Amanda Waller to be a young, sexy lady, and Uh-oh. everybody freaked out. <laughs> because They're like, they she's supposed to be design. a bureaucrat. It's, I mean, it's, it doesn't work at all. And even DC kind of acknowledged this and eventually they go back. Um, it's, it's a little silly how, uh, upset everybody gets about it. But at the same time, like, it doesn't do the character any good to be like, no, Amanda Waller is like a hot 23 year old. Like, this is the this is the reverse of the Lola Bunny situation. Right, 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 right. We start with <laughs> Amanda Waller, and then we end up with Lola Bunny somehow. Yeah, yep. <laughs> the nerds are mad. Make her less sexy. Right, right, right. Put her back. <laughs> so, uh, New Fifty Two wildly unpopular. Uh, DC loses a lot of its readers. Everybody's been, who's been reading since Crisis uh, is now being turned off by the new. Um, thing uh, two decades later so DC eventually uh, dissolves the new 52 kind of storytelling and starts again from scratch Um, it was supposed to be with their book uh, what was it called Um, uh, oh no it was the one where they they crossed over with uh, Watchmen Uh, Doomsday Clock it was supposed to be with their book Doomsday Clock which I don't know if you've heard of Uh, they crossed over with Watchmen I didn't Um, know they crossed over with Watchmen that's pretty cool it was Hey, it was a mess of a release, and the the corporate structure. We like don't have time to go through all of the DC <laughs> stuff, uh, but the corporate structure at DC had completely fallen apart while um, Doomsday Clock was in uh, um, writing. So it the first issue came out, and then it just kept each subsequent issue 
kept being put off by like months from when it was actually supposed to be released. And then eventually when the whole thing came out, it was kind of like a wet fart. It wasn't, it wasn't as good as uh, everyone wanted it to be. But it was supposed to kick off the new decade of uh, DC Comics where it was revealed at the end of Watchmen when um, uh, uh, Dr. Manhattan goes off and he says, I'm going to create my own universe. The DC universe is supposed to be the universe that he created. Oh, uh, interesting. Right. Um, but it was it was just not, it wasn't great. Uh, it was, it was kind of lame. Uh, but it was just, it was the Watchmen characters crossing over with like DC um, in another universe, like uh, bending subplot that had all these uh, characters of crossover. Most recently, uh, the Suicide Squad is made up of uh, the teammates uh, being Amanda Waller, Peacemaker, Nocturna, Superboy, Talon, Klubra, and Bloodsport. Um, when it was launched in March of 2021, probably to tie in with the new movie, as a lot of these characters had not been on the team before. And it is um, very well received, especially because of the addition to Superboy, um, which kind of throws the dynamic off a bit instead of having yeah, all Yeah, I was going to say, that one surprised me. That's interesting. Right. Instead of having uh, the same dynamic as you've had for the last, what, 30, 40 years, we now have uh, Superboy on the team, which kind of throws everything off. Peacemaker also is not a traditional Suicide Squad uh, team member. It's very odd for him to be on the team as well, though people don't really treat it as such because he's not like a beloved character. Like Peacemaker was not a villain in his own comic. He was he was the hero. Yeah, it strikes me that they're they're moving from explicit villains to just maybe like some weirdos. Right, right. Well, I mean, Peacemaker. So if whoever doesn't know, uh, and we're we're going we're jumping all over the place here, but Peacemaker, um, who is featured in the 2021 movie, uh, is a character from Charleston Comics who is supposed to be a uh, right wing conservative answer to what a uh, Captain America would be or a Superman would be. Right, he's, he's definitely Captain Captain Fox News for sure. Yes, he's the soldier of full fortune who um, who believes in American exceptionalism, and he's played by uh, some uh, I don't know low level pro wrestler I've never heard right. of. Right, just a, just a uh, a nobody. Um, but uh, his inclusion in the team is notable as well uh, because he is not the typical villain. Um, Suicide Squad uh, is then included in lots of television media uh, from there on out. Dave, I asked you (laughs) when we made these plans to just go watch one piece of cartoon media. Uh, Did you watch any animated media whatsoever for this? I think a good friend would have done that. A good (laughs) co-host, a good friend, perhaps someone with a stronger memory, someone who, in an alternate universe, who would have written that down when you said to do it. Um, Yep, terrific. But... so. so we'll just move on. Uh, Task in, this, Force in, X. This, in this real life continuity, <laughs> this version of me, crisis, crisis on Infinite Daves, I did not do that. <laughs> Mike is drinking. So Task Force X appears in a self-titled episode of Justice League Unlimited, uh, which was the sequel series to the Justice League cartoon from when we were kids. Um, and it consists of Rick Flagg Jr., Captain Boomerang, Deadshot, Plastique, and Clock King. Um, And they're on a mission to um, do something within the Justice League. They're deliberately trying to make these a a tongue twister. Clock King? Come on. I know. I'm tripping over so many words today. (laughs) There's a superhero, Toy Boat, and and she who sells seashells. Down by the seashore. 
they had to break into the Justice League's watchtower and um, steal something from them, and then they they fight the Justice League. Nobody really dies, but it's a kids' cartoon. Uh, they also show up on an episode of Young Justice. They had a couple li- uh, live action goes in Smallville and uh, in Arrow. Um, there's like a famous scene uh, where Oliver Queen has to team up with. Or no, it's not him. It's his, his his friend. Whatever. It's the other guy. I, you Arrow fans, you know. Uh, all you guys who watched Arrow. Uh, the the other guy, he has to go down and team up with uh, Amanda Waller and the Suicide Squad. And Deadshot's on there with Shrapnel and Bronze Tiger. Um, and then there's Harley Quinn inside a cell. But apparently they like hired an actress and everything to play Harley Quinn. But then like at the la- at the last minute, uh, DC was like, actually, you know what? You can't you can't use her in this episode. We we have plans for her in movies, and like, you can't put her on, on the show. So they they have her uh, say something from behind a door where you can just see the back of her head, and then they just move on. <laughs> you just, uh, hear, so she gets you just a, hear some lady in the background go pudding. Right, it's just some blonde lady with a Bronx accent uh says a thing uh in a jail cell and you only see the back of her head and they never come back to it because they warner brothers wouldn't let them so that's uh that was them on arrow uh they had a couple animated movies uh they showed up in batman assault on arkham uh before the suicide squad movie came dc is kind of famous we talked about this during the wonder woman episode they're famous for creating a uh, animated version of whatever they plan on doing in live action to kind of test the waters and play with the story elements. Um, they did that for Wonder Woman, and surprise, they did that here. So they right. they put a, a team together. Uh, Deadshot, Harley Quinn, King Shark, Killer Frost, Captain Boomerang, Black Spider, and KG Beast uh, all teamed up to, to, do a, to do a Suicide Squad thing. Um, and then they had another movie. Uh, between the two live action movies, uh, Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay, um, which was not it was okay and then they showed up in apocalypse war uh have you heard of it heard of any of these things no <laughs> okay great uh justice league apocalypse war um was the uh closing of the dc animated film universe so that was uh. the big the big thing where they all of the uh characters from all of the dc animated movies of the last like decade had to team up to fight uh dark side so and then they all die like almost all of them die it's, oh, it's super intense. Yeah, no, it's it's real. Uh, it's real adult and intense. <laughs> uh, Suicide Squad has been in lots of video games. They are a downloadable content in Lego Batman. Um, Batman Arkham Origins has Amanda Waller visit um, Deathstroke in the Blackgate Penitentiary. Um, uh, and uh, there's a Suicide Squad game coming up, which we'll get to at the end of the episode. Um, but the Suicide Squad has always been one of DC's mo- uh, best recurring uh characters and groups that they have within their comics that they could always rely on um so when the dc was launching the dc extended universe of films with um man of steel going into batman versus superman dawn of justice and uh beyond of course the suicide squad had to be included um and it just really makes sense from where warner brothers was at at the time trying to um take a big step forward and match marvel in the Avengers slash Justice League realm, right? If you right. want to have uh, your universe take a big jump forward, Marvel took four or five years to get to the Avengers, right? And DC wants to do it in three movies. Yeah. So you yeah. put in this team where it's all villains of all of the heroes that we know, and you can pad out the world that they exist in with this film so that when they come back together for the Justice League, it seems like there's already some foundation laid down, right? 
seems like a yeah, very smart gonna, idea. Um, right, they're just going to fast forward through all the uh, all that all that pesky world building shit that Marvel had to do. Right, right. Well, they're gonna they're gonna do it. They're just gonna do it in this film, <laughs> this this one this one movie, and um, they're gonna give their director six weeks to write the script. Uh, Easy, David Harris brought. I, so why did this movie turn out bad? <laughs> I can't. Why you know? Uh, Warner Brothers never gave this movie a chance. It was um, this movie was doomed from the start. Uh, David Ayer is brought in. He is a perfect, uh, perfectly competent director. Um, he makes a lot of L.A. Um, noir style, or not noir style. He makes a lot of L.A. cop dramas, right? Gotcha. Um, he's done Fury. He's done uh, the Sabotage um, movies. He did. Uh, uh, end of watch right oh, uh, gotcha. street kings yeah. all these movies where um la cops team up to take on gangsters or whatever that like in like a dark um criminal underbelly kind of world that's david Ayer's thing so if got you're it. gonna write if you're you've got this like darker uh answer to the mcu that you're creating right and you want uh, a real dark gritty take on um on the criminal underbelly of the DC universe. He's kind of the guy that you'd go to, right? Yes. Uh, makes makes lots of sense. Um, until your uh, dark, gritty take on Batman and Superman uh, does terribly and flops and uh, gets, <laughs> gets real bad reviews and isn't liked by anybody. Um, and then maybe you, you pump the brakes on this movie that you've already filmed. Right. <laughs> So, I heard that they um, now people want them to release the air cut. Yes, they there is a movement to uh, release the air cut. Dave, uh, we're just we're jumping right in here. Uh, what did you think of 2016's Suicide Squad? Sucked. <laughs> do, you have, do you have any more to say? That's it. Moving on to 2021. No, uh, <laughs> this movie was I would call it like music video tier. You know what I mean? Like yes. it it it. Okay, so first of all. It has a tasteless amount of hits on the soundtrack. Yes. Like the soundtrack is literally like Seven Nation Army, Without Me by Eminem, Bohemian Rhapsody, fucking that like all my friends are heathens take. Like they just yep. literally, they take like top 40 chart topping hits and they just jam them into the soundtrack. Like it's like, like high school film project level tasteless soundtrack. Um, and then the movie just seems like it's designed to be a trailer, you know, like all of the lines are so like deliberately quippy, Mm -hmm. you know, it it just feels like the entire thing is just designed not as a movie, but maybe like a big trick. Like they're, they're tricking people to get into the movie. They, they, the entire movie is designed in order to make a trailer. Like it's like they filmed a trailer and then they were like, and now expand this into a movie. And they're like, oh, there doesn't need to be anything in between the line, the, the quips. Right. You're so well, you're so crazy on point. Uh, it's insane. <laughs> and I'd like to just put out here, nothing we're going to say about 2016 Suicide Squad is new. Okay? There is so many reviews that you could watch of this movie. Um, there's a fantastic video on YouTube called The Art of Editing in Suicide Squad that breaks it down exactly why the editing for this movie is uh, so atrocious. And um, the kinds of things that make bad editing within a movie. And go watch that movie. Or go watch that video. Because it's, it's better than us exploiting it. Sorry, uh, Dave. But it's, uh, 
It's, but they want to hear they want to hear their special boys, Mike and Dave. Right, explain right. It. But if you want to hear us talk about it, here we go. Um, there is a lot of heart put into this movie uh, originally, right? All of the actors and David Ayer, the director, and uh, everyone involved really wanted to make something special and knew that they could, like, possibly make something really great here. Yes. Um, everyone was chomping at the bit to get into the character of which they were assigned. Uh, Viola Davis read all of Confessions of a Sociopath to perform or to prepare for her role, and she was um, really, really stepping into the world of who Amanda Waller would be um, in the different like psychology and um, strength that she would need for her um, role within uh, the the bureaucratic system that she works in, and described uh, Waller as relentless in her villainy. Um, and said that her powers are her intelligence and her complete lack of guilt. So, um, like, Viola Davis... Ugh. So Viola Davis is just soaking in Amanda Waller, all that she can. Uh, Margot yes. Robbie is doing the same. She's picking up every Harley Quinn book that she can. Um, she's taking acro- aerial acrobatics lessons to get into uh, gymnastics, and uh, she's... Uh, She's, her training includes gymnastics and boxing and weapons training and aerial silk skills. Um, she's learning to breathe underwater for extended periods of time to shoot all the one underwater scenes uh, where the where the car goes over the, the dock. Um, and she even got into the art of tattooing, learning to give certain, uh, several tattoos. Um, so for some reason, uh, this will tell you how into this movie everybody was. The entire uh, cast got the word squad, S-K-W-A-D tattooed on them uh mostly wow. by uh Mar- margot robbie because she was learning to do like cheap rudimentary tattoos to get into character uh, as somebody who has a bunch of like cheap self homemade tattoos damn yeah <laughs> it's not it's definitely it doesn't seem like it's for lack of trying you know the people here gave an effort it's not like right. they showed up to it's not like they showed up to like collect a paycheck or anything it right. just turned out bad will smith did tons of weapons training um the guy who played um uh, uh, Killer Croc. Um, yeah, you, it, it would be difficult to pronounce that guy's name, but if you watch Lost, Edwale Akinua Ajibadje, that's he's trying. I hope that's how you say it. You know what? I, I went for, I did it. Uh, he he played um, Mr. Echo in Lost. He did, if anybody's a Lost fan, he's Mr. Echo in Lost. Adwale <laughs> played Killer Croc, uh, and he um, read decades worth of material on the comics, and he also um, just like watched like tons of footage of crocodiles and did heavy research into cannibalism to get into his role um, so that he could really embody that character. Uh, Jai Courtney went the more fun route. Um, He was told by uh, David Ayer that his character would be an absolute shitbag, and he was told by David Ayer (laughs) to find his inner shitbag. So uh, Jai Courtney took mushrooms and went off into the woods and put lit cigarettes out on his own arm. So that's uh, that's what he did to prepare for the role. (laughs) I I just imagine that Jai Courtney just watched uh, uh mortal Kombat for kano you know right. he just wanted to be he, they were like just be kano for mortal Kombat. right and he's like okay he's one of the best parts of this movie i agree um, every you know what everybody i'll say all the actors do uh, outside of jared leto and we'll get i was to gonna him, say with the else. notable exception of jared leto <laughs> everybody else i was gonna say how dare you say job. everybody did a good job notably one person did a terrible job one person did a pretty bad job, but everybody else really, really tried um, to make this movie more than uh, more Before than we nothing. get into Jared Leto, too, also Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg, he's great. You know, like he's like... He is great, yes. 
Uh, he's the presidential nominee in uh, House of Cards. Um, originally, it was supposed to be Tom Hardy, but he had to drop out to do The Revenant. So Joel Kinnaman uh, was hired to take on the role. And he does a fantastic job. Um, it's, but unfortunately, also, the material doesn't give him much to work with here other than be sad and regretful. Uh, that's his whole right. character. That's it. It's, that's it. That's all he does. Uh, he He makes one mistake and the entire rest of the movie, he is sad and regretful for it. So... Um, he's he's given a much better role in the next movie, I promise. But but for this one, uh, he doesn't do good. Let's do, let's let's get into it. So Jared Leto chosen to play the Joker. Um, this is coming off the back of Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight, just in two thousand eight, fresh in everybody's minds. Uh, unfortunately, due to his tragic death, couldn't come back to reprise his role as that character. And now, uh, Jared Leto has to step into the role. And according to him, did not want to copy or lift or mimic anything done by Heath Ledger and wanted to go well, in a totally different new direction. Uh, except you, for maybe you, doing it, except for maybe doing a spot on impression of <laughs> Heath Ledger's voice as the Joker, right. literally doing like a edgy kid in your high school level impression of Heath Ledger's Joker's voice. I don't know where his character is coming from here. Um, he says he takes inspiration from uh, Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth, which was a book that was mostly about the Joker, um, where it portrayed the Joker as a transcendent, unsettling, and seductive person. And I think that's something that he really took into it because his Joker is just super horny, like all the yeah, time. He is. Yeah. It's yeah. very fucking weird that he decided that the Joker was so horny. Um, when he uh, When he takes off his mask and he kind of, like growls like growls like hornily at uh, harley quinn i was like oh man oh gross (laughs) uh for some reason jared leto felt it was necessary to watch hours of real crime footage on youtube until he was so sick to his stomach that he couldn't watch people die anymore um because he had to understand how like common deliberate criminals can be in their horrible actions sure jared leto (laughs) didn't you say that he mailed everybody a rat we didn't i didn't i did not say that yet we didn't get to it no we said it in a previous <laughs> podcast though i think you <laughs> yes i'm getting there uh they wanted to <laughs> all right fine uh, <laughs> uh, jared leto um said in one interview that he sent all of his co-workers uh really fucking weird gifts um he sent uh margot it was initially reported that he sent margot robbie a dead rat later she corrected and said that it was a live rat of which he uh continued to take care of um Aww. she sent a bunch of he sent a bunch of people quote unquote allegedly used condoms um he sent uh the guy who plays killer croc a sticky uh 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 porno mag uh he Gross. sent um he allegedly sent somebody like a full dead pig uh oh, what yeah, it was just a bunch of oh, weird no. stuff, and it's the it's the condoms and anal beads. Oh, and, and anal beads. I didn't say anal beads. He also sent some allegedly sent <laughs> a bunch of the cast anal beads. You can't um, just gloss over that. <laughs> yeah, I, I did it. That, that can't. You know what? For some reason, while reading my notes, I was like, you know what? I don't need that. That's not right. even shocking. And then um, you meant to say it. That that can't be a, just a clause in the middle of a sentence. You know what I mean? It can't be like <laughs> comma the anal beads comma and then continue the sentence. That's not allowed. <laughs> So, but now he's trying to walk that back. Now he's trying to say that uh, these stories were blown way out of proportion because they're they're things that like people would like to report on, and it sounds a lot of fun. And I did give some unusual gifts to my classmates, uh, castmates, but not the kind of like really like uh, terrible ones that everybody's talking about. But dude, he's the one who said that he did this in the first place. So like, <laughs> <laughs> what do you, like, 
This is all You're the one who said you gave people condoms and anal beads. Like, nobody's, like, take, everyone's quoting you on that. So, you know? They're like, you didn't need to say that. (laughs) (laughs) This movie seems so long. And what's wild is that it's actually shorter than the remake. I was watching this. I was like, oh, my God, how long is this Uh, movie? I I literally, I I think when I paused it, have I through, I would have thought that it was three hours long. You know what I mean? So what happened? Let's talk about all the drama that happened with the shooting of this movie, okay? And we, we, we started to dip our toe into the water. Uh, David Ayer is hired. He's given six weeks to write um, a script for this movie. His original take, because he's included in the process um, while uh, Batman v Superman is in post-production and he's going into production for his movie, he's got six weeks to write the script. Uh, he knows that they're leading up to Justice League with this. So his original script is centered around um, one of the mother boxes and Steppenwolf from the Justice League movie uh, as being the main villain that they fight at the end. So they're sent on a mission to retrieve one of the mother boxes. The government had control of it, but they lost it. And then Steppenwolf uh, comes out of the mother box and the the Suicide Squad has to take him down before Darkseid comes through. Um, And Warner Brothers decides that he can't put that into his movie because that's basically the plot of their uh, Justice League movie, (laughs) um, which nobody, I guess, until that point told him for some reason. Uh, So he he finds out that his whole script has to be uh, completely redone. Um, So he puts the Enchantress in that role since she's like this big mystical creature who is already on the team. um, And she uses uh, this like character of her brother as the big steppenwolf-ish monster that comes out of the portal at the end so he doesn't really have to change much it's just taking uh enchantress and making her the villain and then being like the enchantresses like uh the the voodoo dolls or whatever that's the instead of the mother box that's the main thing uh, i was thinking that the cgi and the design of the villains was like remarkably similar to the justice league i was like (laughs) wow this looks like the exact same shit they definitely were setting the tone, right? It was this. Yes. This was the universe that they were trying to create, um, and there was a lot of crossover. Batman shows up numerous times in this movie. The Flash shows up in this movie to take down Captain Boomerang, um, who doesn't get any fun Boomerang stuff to do, which was right. very upsetting to me. I think he gets he throws a Boomerang once, like that's his whole thing. Just come yep. up with maybe like any uh, uh, action scenes where he throws a Boomerang. That would be fun. You know? Yeah, he could, he could have been like the bad guy Hawkeye, right? But uh, right, but no. Most of the characters that they don't make any sense for being here at all, especially against the Enchantress, who uh, is like way more powerful than any of them. Um, yeah, the, it's, it's it it does remind me a little bit of like Hawkeye. Like you're wondering how Hawkeye is going to fight Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet. You're like, this fucking guy shoots arrows. You know, right, you but know? at least Hawkeye like was part of Shield, which put the Avengers together, and was like, "I'm joining this fight." You know, like back right, it, right. when uh, Loki invaded New York in the first place. So that by the time you get to Infinity War, it's like, "Well, yeah, Hawkeye's here. Of course he is." You know, right? He's he's one of the guys. Whereas like Captain was... Boomerang is on the team, and he's he's along for the ride, but he doesn't get to do anything. Right. <laughs> most of them, yeah, most of them don't all. get to do anything. Uh, exactly. You get the one scene where Will Smith shows off all his shooting and, uh, like, he kills all those, um, the putties from uh, from uh, Power Rangers. Power That's Rangers, That's all the villains yeah. are in this. Uh, they're yep. just putties uh, for some reason. But he kills a bunch of whole, a whole bunch of them in the street. Um, and then Harley Quinn takes off to go up an elevator or something and she gets a fight scene. And then, uh, and that's kind of it. 
And then they have to all fight the Enchantress at the end where they're all useless because she's this Superman level super being. And there, and Harley Quinn has like a has a hammer or a baseball bat or whatever she whatever <laughs> weapon she has in this. Like, is it? They're is it all possible? useless. Is it possible that this movie was designed by the Halloween costume industry? Like, is Spirit Halloween behind this? You know, because oh, I mean, the costumes in this are on point. They won they won an Emmy for their costume design, and it was uh, Oscar, I think, right? An Oscar. They, yes, you're right. They won an Academy Award for their costume design, and it was well earned. Like the costume, there's so much heart put into this movie it's really upsetting the way that it went um so david Ayer, he shoots the movie <laughs> i keep getting sidetracked uh he shot roughly 230 hours of footage from his script that he wrote in six weeks hoping that like some of it could be edited together to make a movie okay and then <laughs> and then i mean this this is this is hollywood warner brothers started with a release date and then hired a director and said that's your release date you have this much time to make a movie figure it out and these are the kinds of results when you uh, when you make movies that way. So, <laughs> um, so David Ayer he produces his film uh, Batman vs Superman comes out on uh, March twenty fifth two thousand sixteen. It is widely hated. People reject it almost immediately. The story is bad. Uh, the characterizations are bad. Um, it just isn't. It's not good. But what Warner Brothers decides people don't like about it is that it's dark and edgy. The same thing that they that they thought was going to be so cool about it. The same thing they the same reason they thought people liked people liked the Dark Knight because it was was dark, right? Because it was dark and it had adult <laughs> themes, not because it was well written and expertly acted and the editing was excellently executed. Um, it's because it was dark and had adult themes, right? That's the thing right, people. That's liked. the only reason you can yeah. just take that and apply that to anything, and people will buy it, right? Uh huh. Um, uh-huh. So now, now, now people don't like Batman versus Superman, so they decide to do a 180 with that. Uh oh, people don't like dark, edgy adult themed things. We can't do that anymore. Um, we have this movie that's already filmed, and it's a dark, edgy adult themed take on the Suicide Squad. We better scrap that idea. Um, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy came out in 2014, and people really liked that. And then Deadpool was released in February of 2016, and that made way like more money than uh than uh, batman versus superman did based on like both of their uh their budgets we should be aiming to do something more like deadpool or like guardians of the galaxy we want people to have fun with this film so they um the first step that they do to kind of take this movie away from david air is they create the uh, bohemian rhapsody trailer that uh goes out which has a really fun airy action adventure feel to it and that trailer is created by aspect uh, Aspect uh, Trailer Company creates the Bohemian Rhapsody trailer, um, and it becomes like the biggest watch trailer for any DC movie ever within the first three weeks of it being out. It is watched uh, hundreds of thousands of times. Everybody fucking loves it. Um, the Warner Brothers is getting really nervous. They're starting to bite their nails a little bit because they're like, oh, fuck. The movie that we actually made isn't like this in tone whatsoever. Uh, right. This trailer is completely is not representative of the product that we are about to put out. So they uh, take the movie from David Ayer and they go to a third company, Trailer Park, this uh, company that makes trailers, and they say, hey, Trailer Park, you've made um, some trailers for us in the past. Not Notably not the one that's really popular and everybody likes right now, but you've made <laughs> other trailers for us in the past. And so if you could take um, all of our film footage, our 230 hours of footage for the movie – um, if you could take that and then cut that into a film um, of the tone of this trailer that was made by this third company, that would be really great. So 
Trailer Park makes a movie based off of the tone of the Bohemian Rhapsody trailer that comes out. Um, and then Warner Brothers uh, does testing uh, for both the air cut of the film and the trailer park cut of the film. And surprise, surprise, uh, fan uh, audiences like neither version of the movie. So now <laughs> Warner Brothers has two versions of this movie that doesn't work, uh, that is testing poorly with audiences. Um, and so they decide that they are going to do extensive reshoots. So they go into extensive reshoots and they shoot a ton of scenes that will um, allow them to make a monster version, mix mashing the air cut with the trailer park cut. It's mostly the trailer park cut. That's why you have all the quick um, cutting music uh, inserts yeah, and everything. Yeah. But it's but there's a little bit of the you a little bit of the air cut in there, and it's just we, these reshoots just tie it all together. And what you get at the end is just a, is is a nightmare. It's just, it's yeah. just a mess. It's a horrible it's, amalgamation. It's, I thought you were just uh, being nice. I thought you were just being nice when you said that I was spot on, thinking that it felt like a uh, a music video or a trailer, but it really is that. <laughs> the, it was literally yes. cut together yeah. by a trailer company, right? A uh, company that has no experience making movies. Um, this we learned this lesson from uh, Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League already. Um, maybe if David Ayer's film had gone to theaters, it wouldn't have been good. You know, who knows? But at least it would have been cohesive. It would have at least yeah, been, uh, been, I don't know, created by a fucking movie director. Right. It would have been one uh, stylish narrative uh, voice going through the entire thing yeah, 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 um, yeah. To, to make everything at least make sense with each right. other. Whereas this just jumped around from plot line to plot line. Uh, it didn't make any sense. The, the big twist that the person they're saving is Amanda Waller has no uh, consequence on the plot whatsoever. <laughs> it's, she, and then she shoots everyone in the room for no reason. Who were those people? Why were they there? Like, what, what, what is happening? It's like, they're, they're like, oh, we have to um, deploy Tax Force X because they have to go save person 50415 in the middle of the city they're they're trapped there and then they get there and it's amanda waller and she shoots everyone in the room like no one can know i'm here why <laughs> <laughs> and then she just leaves then she just she just leaves it's there's no and then they have to go on with the rest of the movie as if like that never happened um right. it's right. Just, it, it's just crazy things like that that just like it, the movie like, it knows the movie knows what beats it wants to hit but it has no idea on how to deliver on them Yes. And it doesn't even try with the execution. Uh, maybe at some point in some version that was filmed, uh, like these these plots all made sense when strung together. But at this point, they do not. Uh, so um, that's the that's the version that goes to films. People largely hate it. Uh, when asked uh, later in some interview, what was the hardest scene for him to cut? Uh, when he was editing the movie together, David Ayer commented that the first 40 minutes of his film were the hardest thing to cut. <laughs> I, yeah, I heard this. They said it was like it, the entire first 40 minutes were redone and yes. the Joker was like a much larger part of the plot or yep. something, right? Um, it was. And, you know, his movie would have been a lot of that stuff that was turned into uh, like character introductions with the with the flashy cards and everything and the animation with the music and everything. Uh, that all would have been played out much slower to introduce each character before they got to Belle Reeve and then they were teamed up on the team. Um, right. So I don't know how much better the movie would have been. You know, it probably would have been real, very slow pacing. Um, I was going to say one of the things been... that well, I was going to say one of the things that I really like about the new the newer movie is they just you know 
Viola Davis walks in and she goes, like, you know the deal. You do the thing. You get 10 years off your sentence. That thing on your neck's going to explode if you disobey me. Anyway, let's go do the right. Suicide Squad thing. Like, I, right. I always... You know, I always rant like I don't want to see Uncle Ben die again. We know who Spider-Man is. Like, if you're going to see the Suicide Squad Part Two, you know what the fuck is going on here. You know, you don't you don't need the intro. Give me a break. Right. Who's going? Who who buys tickets to Suicide Squad and is like, like I need a comprehensive introduction to this. Like, you know what the fuck is up. <laughs> the the new movie assumes that if you are seeing this movie, you have some knowledge of at least the way superhero movies go. Um, if not, all, who these all superhero movies are should and assume what that here, what, what what their uh, background if you, is. If you're going to see um, fucking Aquaman, you know what's up. Like you don't need to, <laughs> you don't need them to be like. Just so you uh, know, people in this universe have superpowers. <laughs> right. This movie would have had a lot of Harley and Joker's backstory, including um, the transformation scene at Ace Chemicals was much much longer. There was lots more dialogue between her and the Joker, um, including the Batmobile uh, chase scene being much much longer. Um, and like them, like fighting Batman on the roof of the car, uh, before they jump, before they crash off that, uh, that dock. Um, Katana was supposed to have much more stuff where she actually uses, they introduce her soul taker, uh, sword and then she doesn't use it for the whole film or if she does use it, it's just on those like weird putty creatures. It's like, all right, great. I'm glad you took the time to explain that through exposition when, uh, we were like trying to move on with the film. Uh, June Moon's possession by the Enchantress was supposed to be done in real time of her, like, June, like, discovering the uh, the shrine to the Enchantress that, that uh, ends up possessing her, right? Um, right? And there was lots of scenes of Killer Croc's backstory um, where it's his, like, entire life as, like, a social outcast due to his physical appearance um, and him trying to convince himself that he's beautiful in his own way. But then he, like, gets caught up with, like, a, a street gang and crosses uh, paths with Batman and becomes kind of a uh, cannibalistic uh, murderer where he's eating I was gonna people say, And now. then he discovers how um, good people taste. Right, right, right. Uh, he was supposed to be Killer Shark. As I said before, Killer Shark was um, really popular during the time during, the, during his inclusion of the uh, New 52. But Killer Shark would have had to be a fully CGI character as he is in the t- 2021 movie. So they decided to go with Killer Croc because they could pull that off with um, prosthetics. So they're like, all right, so it's, it's instead of King Shark, it's Killer Croc. Uh they uh they they messed up everything else (laughs) (laughs) they took this movie away from david air and they uh they messed it up now people are demanding the air cut i don't do you have uh any stamina to watch the air cut i would i for sure i mean unless you really wanted to do it for the podcast i for sure would not watch it on my own (laughs) i just i can't imagine you know if if they said that the the recut of this movie has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, I would check it out. Okay. You know what I mean? It has to be that much better. I can't imagine how much better it would be. Um, like I said, like it's probably just like a much slower-paced film. It probably would be much more cohesive. It probably would make a lot more sense from scene to scene. Uh, there would be um, one narrative voice, at least, like taking over the, the editing and the storytelling within it, but it couldn't possibly be that much better of a movie. Um, just because it's still, it's still the Suicide Squad doing this, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but I, you know, I, I do wonder how much better this movie would be if like the editing was just on point. And, um, there's the scene where Rick Flagg convinces June Moon, 
who hasn't interacted with any other member of the Suicide Squad, by the way. <laughs> no interactions with it. She's on the team. She they, 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 she's only on the team like in like title, right? They're like they're like Enchantress. She's on the team, and you're like, all right. And then before she meets any of the other members or has any scenes with them, Rick Flag is like, you got to turn into the Enchantress right now, or this bomb is gonna go off. And then it cuts to Amanda Waller answering a phone. And he's just yelling over the phone. What were you like? What's happening? He's like, he's cluing us in. She right. she bolted, Amanda. We lost her. <laughs> like, I I thought they were like, I thought it was a twist. I thought they're like, oh, you, they, they're not showing you what happened because he's lying. They're going to cut back right. and, she, right, right, and right. they're going to be like, they're going to be teamed up doing, having their own, avenger, uh, own agenda there doing something else. Right. But no, that's oh, no. just what happened. They just they just they just didn't show. They thought it would be better for you to hear that the thing had happened over the phone than to yes. see the thing happening with your own two eyes. They're um, telling they're doing the the classic movie uh, thing, which is tell don't show. Right? Tell don't show. <laughs> <laughs> There's the editing joke with the uh, the the pink unicorn and Captain Boomerang. Right where his he says on his uh, title card that he has a fetish for pink unicorns. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They set the pink unicorn up where he grabs it and he puts it in his jacket pocket. They remind you that it's there because he drops it and then grabs it and puts it in his jacket pocket. He gets stabbed in that same left hand side and he pulls that knife out and you're expecting that pink unicorn and instead it's a wad of cash and then the unicorn <laughs> never comes back. What was the setup for? <laughs> I, I totally, totally are, missed that. Those are seconds of, si- of film that could be just completely cut. There's no reason to include them. Uh, they do nothing for the movie. <laughs> this movie is like, it's. imagine, you know, you were like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring my family to a really spicy Indian restaurant. And then the night before you're supposed to go, and you're super excited about it, the night before you go, like your family texts you and they're like, we had Indian last night and we hated it. <laughs> and so in, instead of saying, well, we're going to do Indian tomorrow, sorry, you know, you, you're like, okay, how can we fix this? Let's, let's shove a bunch of corn dogs into the meal. Then let's shove a bunch <laughs> of chewing gum in there, too. They might like that. And they said they don't like spicy. So why don't we just smash some ice cream into the samosas? They might like that. And it's just like it turns into this horrible monstrosity where it, it's like it would have just been better if you had done the thing that you were afraid of it being bad for right 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 but look you might not have got the movie that you wanted it might not have made uh 10 billion dollars um it might not have been as successful as you were hoping when you made this investment but you still hired a guy to create a certain vision of a film that you gave him six weeks of a script uh six weeks to write a script for and you let him start shooting that movie like once the ball has started rolling that much you have to just commit this is the movie you made. Yeah, uh, you can course correct next time. But like, don't give it to a trailer company to cut the whole thing together because they don't know what they're doing. You just had one popular trailer. A trailer is two minutes long. You know, you're asking them to edit together a, a minute or an hour and a half movie. Like, come on. Yeah, in, <laughs> longer, I think. It's like two hours. Oh, uh, my God. Is there any movie that has benefited from major post-production like reshoots and stuff like it, the movie like was going to suck and then it ruled when it came out like it was amazing when it came out um, and they're like thank god we did all that post-production by shit. all accounts uh rogue one was oh really a, completely like uh it's not unaf- it, this is all allegedly quote-unquote allegedly but it was taken away from its director uh gareth edwards who did the original uh or the new godzilla movie um and they put somebody else behind this uh the director's seat and gave uh, they did extensive reshoots for it. Reshoot, that's super reshot like eighty percent of the film. 
it did like a did of Justice League style like reshooting for it. Yeah, um, yeah, but actually making the movie better this time. It's not, not turning yeah, out. That's super interesting. Another, you know, uh, I, I love Rogue fucking One. mess. Yeah, but yeah, Rogue One uh, was a movie that um, went through extensive reshoots. They had a, a director change between the original shooting and the reshoot, reshoot shooting. Um, there are, are a lot more uh, negative examples than positive examples. Yeah, I would that's say. why I was thinking. Um, I'm like, man, is there any positive example? Fox's at all? Fantastic Four for instance, was completely right. taken away from Josh Trank and there was like crazy reshoots done um, and it became a totally different movie than whatever he was making. Um, but that was, that's, that's a whole, that's a whole other story um, about how Josh Trank um, just could not work co- uh, with the studio to get his film done. Um, so yeah, I think the, um, the Shawshank Redemption too, right? Like he doesn't escape initially. The, the secret cut for the for the Shawshank Redemption where yeah, he release, dies <laughs> release the darker <laughs> he dies, cut he dies he dies in prison uh they, he says hope is a good thing and hope never dies and then they say no and a guard shoots Andy Dufresne in the head right uh, right so everybody follow us uh, on Instagram at nnuts.show that's nuts.show uh our website URL is the same thing www.nnuts.show uh you can find us on Patreon you know patreon.com slash nothing new under the sun uh, or if you you know you just want to save your your precious fingers the, all the work of typing that out, you know the much more concise nuts dot money and nuts dot money that's there for you. Uh, we would love it if you would just tell one friend, one family member, just be like, hey, I listen to this dumb podcast. You might like it. Grab their phone, program it into their podcast subscriptions. Maybe download this episode. Wouldn't that be funny? Such a goof. Leave us a review on your podcast app or their podcast app, and um, you know all the links for this stuff is always in the episode description in the show notes. So check those out too. Okay, so Suicide Squad 2016. It was made on a $175 million budget. It grossed uh, $325 million in the U.S. and Canada, um, and worldwide made $746,846,894 exactly, according and, to IMDb. And how many IMDb. cents? <laughs> <laughs> IMDb does not say. <laughs> but, that's, but it was widely successful, right? Um, people went and saw this movie. They were all excited for it. Everybody was uh, riding high off of uh, Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker. They wanted to see what DC was going to do with the Joker next. People love Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn, over our lifetimes, she was invented for the Batman the Animated Series. And she was uh, integrated into the comics from there, from being so popular from that animated series. And just she's grown into being like one of the main top four selling dc comic book characters um that they own throughout our lifetimes uh so um people were super stoked to see uh suicide squad 2016 and then when they went and saw it they widely freaking hated it uh it sits at 26 percent on rotten tomatoes (laughs) with a 59 percent audience score so higher audience score than some of our other films we've uh reviewed for this podcast but it's still um, not very widely uh, regarded as a good movie. So <laughs> I honestly, um, I, I don't know if it was just, you know, my expectation or whatever, right? But I didn't think that 2016 sucked as bad as everybody said. You know, I was I was ready to experience the worst possible shit that we've watched so far. And conversely, I, for the 2021 movie, I was ready to really be like, holy shit, that movie fucking ruled. 
I thought this movie was bad, but like in like a 45% bad. And I thought the new movie was good, but in like a 78% good. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't think that they were quite as polarizing as everyone says, uh, but it's still obvious that this movie is way worse than the newer one. The original Suicide Squad is just bad. It's just bad on so many merits. Um, the new one is so much better. It's it's better. It's leaps and bounds better. Uh, the way that we got here between the two, obviously David Ayer was not going to be brought back uh, for the next Suicide Squad iteration. Um, he Go was, figure. He was listed to um, helm the sequel while the movie was in theaters um, and a little bit after he also was uh, publicly given a uh, Gotham City Sirens movie that he was possibly going to produce with Margot Robbie. Um, all of that clearly really wasn't moving forward uh, after Suicide Squad um, was uh, was so harshly uh, reviewed and um, maligned by fans and critics alike once it came out. Um, they... Tried to move forward with a Suicide Squad thing, though, because that's a super popular um, uh, property for them. And people really liked Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. People really liked uh, the individual characters. Will Smith as Deadshot, uh, Jai Courtney as uh, Captain Boomerang, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. Um, So they wanted to uh, possibly move forward with another Suicide Squad movie. They had no idea how. They gave Margot Robbie the option of what she wanted to do with Harley Quinn. She decided to make Birds of Prey over Gotham City Sirens. Um, Bad choice, uh, in my opinion. Uh, But that that movie did did as it did. Uh, This is not a Harley Quinn episode, so we won't talk too much about that. But um, she definitely should have made a Gotham City Sirens movie. It's a no-brainer to make a... Hey... Her, uh, Margot Robbie, do you want your next Harley Quinn movie to be with um, Poison Ivy and Catwoman, or do you want it to be with the Black Canary and uh, uh, whoever else, like the random cops that they team up with in that movie? Do you want it, the Huntress and the Huntress and, the, and that cop lady? Do you, would you rather would that be better, or or Poison Ivy and uh, Catwoman? Oh, we'll go with Birds of Prey. Um, there's bad choice. Uh, Should have went the other way. But they didn't, so they didn't really know what to do with that character. Um, And then uh, James Gunn is targeted online for his political views. Uh, In 2018, Roseanne Barr is fired from the uh, resurgence of her show Roseanne shortly after the sitcom had just been revitalized on ABC television. Um, She had a long string of problematic tweets that uh, came to a head when Roseanne Barr... Uh, compared a uh, African-American woman working within the government with a gorilla uh, and she was fired by Disney um, because she was doing racist stuff. <laughs> she, she, she should have been fired. I'm sorry. You want to have a TV show on ABC on uh, for the Disney Corporation? You can't be tweeting super racist stuff, Roseanne. That's yep. just how it goes. Um, but no, some people, she was, uh, Joe Rogan said that she was, she was on pills or something. So it's totally cool that she said oh, all that crazy it's, stuff. It's totally cool. That thing she said then that's totally fine. Uh, a bunch of, uh, right-wing conservative activists, uh, including Mike Cernovich and different, uh, editors for Ben Shapiro's website, the daily wire, um, all teamed up to find any celebrities, uh, on the left wing who were, uh, vocally against president Trump 
that they could take down in retribution for Roseanne. And we know Great. this because they admitted to it. They said so themselves. They, Mike Cernovich went online and said this was the, this is what they wanted to do. Uh, so they bunch combed through super a bunch normal, of normal, super smart guys. <laughs> yep, yeah, this is a, this is a totally totally worthwhile way of spending a Saturday. Uh, so Mike Cernovich and these editors for the Daily Wire combed through the tweets of um, different uh, seemingly left wing vocal uh, celebrities to get retribution for Roseanne, and they came across James Gunn who was a vocal critic of the uh, Donald Trump administration. So they went through all his old tweets, and wouldn't you know it, back when James Gunn wrote for Troma and uh, was making Tromeo and Juliet, uh, he said some <laughs> maybe off-kilter stuff, which was, uh, which he made some jokes which were probably highly inappropriate, um, maybe leaning towards joking about pedophilia and joking about, uh, like, sexual... Um, uh, misconduct uh, and you know i'm not gonna stand here and say that the jokes that he posted were necessarily funny or that uh they weren't inappropriate and lewd and and uh offensive to some possibly but they weren't anything worse than you'd see on family guy <laughs> i don't know if they were worth uh singling him out over especially when he's you know the guy working for trauma but right. uh, here we are. He was just evidently targeted, right? Yes. I mean, they admitted to it. They said so themselves. Like they, they went after this happened, they came out and declared victory because this was their mission. Um, so James Gunn, uh, these tweets are brought up. He talks to Kevin Feige and is like, is this going to be a problem? And Kevin Feige's like, I don't know. And then shortly after that conversation, Disney uh, publicly fires James Gunn from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies moving forward. Uh, this ends up being the best thing that ever happened for James Gunn because as soon as he's fired, DC Films is ringing the line. They don't right. care that he said a bunch of stupid shit in tweets that are over 20 years old. They just want their Superman movies to work. <laughs> so they're going to bring in James Gunn uh, and they're pitching him on the next Superman movie. Um, and he can do whatever he wants. It doesn't have to be Henry Cavill. It doesn't have to be in the DCEU. Whatever he wants to do with Superman. James Gunn, you have... Uh, you have carte blanche to just go crazy um james gunn doesn't want to make a superman film it doesn't he doesn't feel that that really matches his sensibilities or that he gets the character really um he he toys with the idea according to more recent interviews of making a crypto the super dog film where crypto is destroying metropolis and uh superman has to like track him down almost like a like a, a a homeward bound or like a, a baby's day off, but with superpowers. Um, that's that was that would interest him to make. You know, something that's like just like a fucking Looney Tunes movie, but like live action. It's wild that he's uh, like, that's he's, he's I don't want to do a Superman but, movie. I want to do this weird dog thing. <laughs> <laughs> right? if you, look, if you want me to do this weird dog thing, I could do that. But I can't do a Superman film. That's weird. Uh, right. He just he just didn't feel like him. He gelled with the character, but a uh, pro- property that uh, Warner Brothers owned that he absolutely did feel like he gelled with was the Suicide Squad. In fact, he had in his past collected all sixty six issues of that volume one John Osterman uh, run on the Suicide Squad as a kid, and he was a huge fan. And they had nothing moving forward with the property, and they were just like, "Yeah, James Gunn, go ahead. You could do whatever you want with the Suicide Squad. We don't care." They're like, uh, so. they're like, "It would be v- it would be very unlikely for you to do it worse." 
<laughs> so uh, they give him the reins on Suicide Squad, and much to David Ayer's dismay, they let him do whatever he wanted. They didn't step in, <laughs> they didn't take the movie away and have somebody else edit it. Uh, they just they just let him see his vision uh, to fruition from from start to finish. Uh, he wasn't refused permission to use any character, um, and he was actually uh, purposely went out to choose lesser known characters to con- to do exactly what John Ostrander. Um, his original vision on the whole thing was, you know, you take these these characters who are these little uh, one-off villains who, like, were the DC has no plans of doing anything with ever, and we're gonna give them a role on this team and probably kill them off in some grotesque way. Like that's that's what we do. Um, James Gunn, uh, th- the team that he chose, I would say he did he does I. The original movie backs itself into a corner almost by saying, all right, so let's take all of the most famous Suicide Squad members of the last 10 years and put them on the team for this movie, right? Like, yep. you by putting Katana and Harley Quinn and uh, Deadshot and um, uh, uh, Captain Boomerang and Rick Flagg and uh, El Diablo, you kind of create a team where, like, you can't kill anybody because these are all the guys who you would want to move on uh, and make another movie with because right. they're the ones who are in all the comics. They're the ones who are showing up in the video games and the cartoons and the merchandise. You, you've backed yourself into this corner. I like that James Gunn starts this movie by just taking like a team of fucking savant and blackguard and weasel and just, just kills them <laughs> willy-nilly. Who cares? Like, like it doesn't it is, matter. It's, it is fun to be like, oh, my God, these are the most obvious red shirts I have ever seen. Right. right. Like, you just know. It, it's fun to know. That, like, oh, these guys are going to bite it for sure. 100%. Right. Um, in the first movie, the only team member who really dies is um, Slipknot, who do- is the also the only team member who doesn't get an intro in that movie. So as soon as he shows up, you know he's going to die. He doesn't get. A, he's the only one who doesn't get a title card. He doesn't get like a three funny facts about his character or whatever. He just shows up, and then a scene later, he talks to Captain Boomerang, and he just he fucks off and gets his head blown up, and that's it. And he's the only real like uh, fundamental death of that film, and it's you can see it coming from a mile away. I like this like fake setup here at the beginning where you expect that these characters are the ones that you're going to be following the whole movie for. Everyone yep. gets this full like introduction and setup and then they just die in some hilarious way on a beach yep and they just cut to a whole different set of even funnier and even more ridiculous characters uh i will say i am a little sad about the death of um captain boomerang right at the top yeah jai courtney we that was surprising to me i put him down for for taking mushrooms and putting cigarettes out in his arms you know maybe that wasn't a fun way to spend a night and it was kind of weird but you know what he really embodied that character super great uh he was doing an amazing job. As soon as he shows up and he like he is like, Harley, you're back and he has the Australian accent that I'm not gonna try to do. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's he you Ah, uh, you just wanna see more of him and it's like so upsetting when he dies and I, I get that like it, it was necessary for the plotting of the film to to make you the audience know like no anybody can die here and I don't think it would have been better if he stuck around for the rest of the film. Like I don't know what the addition of Jai Courtney would have added to any of like the preceding scenes that come after that um but just i just i just want to put out there from like a marketing kind of decision uh disney 
would not kill off one of the the main four guys that your team is known for in any right. given uh, franchise. You know, I like was, if I was surprised how little plot armor there was here. Right, like you knew that um, Harley Quinn was not going to die, but right. she's the only one who is safe. I thought, right. like I'm anybody just, else. I'm, I'm just saying there is a Suicide Squad video game coming out only a few months from now from us recording right in this moment. And the team is Harley Quinn, Killer, or Harley Quinn, King Shark, Deadshot, and Captain Boomerang. He's in the video <laughs> game. He's always one of the main characters. I think, uh, like he's, he's like no, notoriously, uh, uh, will, um, double cross the team and he's like oh, not okay. someone to be trusted but like so he'll disappear for like a while but he always comes back and like if you were to go pick up a suicide squad comic today um he probably would be involved in some manner so like it just like just as a as a business uh decision maybe don't kill that guy off right. um but you know that's that's warner brothers nobody in the uh higher ups knows what they're doing so so who do we got here? We got Idris Elba now um, as uh, Bloodsport. We got yes. John Cena. Um, we got John Cena as Peacemaker. Um, yep. We got the Ratcatcher 2. I don't know who the girl, what the girl's name is that plays her. Um, we got Pete Davidson for a hot second. We got uh, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone as King Shark. Yes. Um, we got... Who else? We got the the weasel guy. We got Harley Quinn back again, uh, and we got the polka dot guy. Is the polka dot guy um, Scarecrow from Batman Begins? Or no, no, no. no. But he is in the Dark Knight. He's the character um, who is the uh, mentally oh, uh, the Joker, like the, the PTSD Joker guy. Yeah, uh, the yeah, Joker yeah. uses in that one scene, and that's he gets who I'm taken into of. the. Yes, yeah. uh, Rat Catcher Two played he's the cop by that shoots at a uh, cop that shoots at, at Gordon, right, 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 and then yeah. Batman gets him and like starts to like interrogate him. Uh, or no, Two Face. Sorry, Two Face gets him and starts to interrogate him in the Dark Knight. Uh, Rat Catcher Two is played by Daniela Melquire. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Polka Dot Man I is thought... played by David Dast Malchin, uh, who is a good friend of uh, um, James Gunn. So he All wrote right. the he wrote that role especially for him. Uh, Sylvester Stallone um, voices King Shark. The King Shark is played by um, that guy who was sitting behind the desk. Oh, I can't find that actor's name. Steve something. Oh, the, the fat dude? Yeah, the fat dude who sits behind the desk. He has the joke about the kaiju. He actually yeah. was on set every day uh, acting out King Shark's actions oh, that were sweet. then uh, uh, CGI'd over. Um, nice. I know his first name is Steve. So, Steve, you good? you did a good job. Good sorry, job, Steve. Sorry for calling you just the fat guy, Steve. You did good, Steve. <laughs> you did. You were Steve great. Steve Agee. Uh, I found it. I got it. Uh, Steve Agee. Uh, he, did a, he did a great job um, acting out King Shark's uh, role on the day. Uh, Sean Gunn um, acted out Weasel. He famously, when they film Guardians of the Galaxy, he crawls around on the ground as Rocket Raccoon in a, in a uh, CG suit. So um, he's uh, James Gunn's uh, brother. And he always gets a role. He also shows up as Calendar Man in this, uh, yelling at Polka Dot Man for how lame his powers are at the beginning. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I thought that John Cena was exceptionally funny in this movie, right? Like, he gets all the funniest lines. John Cena was great. Um, it's it's awesome to get a character like Peacemaker to play around with um, in 2021. 
uh, when there really hasn't been much done with the character over the last 40 years, right? Right. Uh, Charleston Comics was invented as a uh, conservative answer to comics during the uh, the 70s and 80s where, um, you know, comics had become uh, b- b- uh, Marvel being run by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and DC uh, with their with their head writers. Uh, comics were kind of uh, more idealistic left re- left wing. More idealistic, left-wing leaning uh, storylines where, like, you know, you had Black Panther taking on the KKK or you had um, uh, Miss Marvel fighting for women's suffrage, right? Uh, and you had all of these um, these more uh, liberal ideas invading the comic book space. And so Charleston's Comics wanted to step in and create good old conservative characters uh, <laughs> that they could that they could continue on with. Um, that that lasted for a, a number of years and were were kind of sort of popular until they had to sell, sell to DC and DC took them over. Uh, most famously, those are all the characters that uh, Watchmen is based off of. So, oh um, really? That's cool. The comedian in Watchmen is supposed to be Peacemaker, and uh... um, the, uh, the uh, Night Owl is supposed to be Blue Beetle, and uh, uh, Rorschach is supposed to be the Question. You have all these characters from the Charleston Comics uh, uh, world that um, Alan Moore just wanted to shit all over because he was just against everything they were doing there. And he was like, oh, well, you just got the rights <laughs> to all these guys. And I just want to I just want to shit about how like uh, I just want to write about how like terrible they all are and how their ideals are all fucked. And how if we created a world um, in the Charleston Comics world the way that like they portray the world should be. Um, it would be this like nightmare situation where like everybody uh, lives like the worst life possible. And DC Comics was like, well, you can't do that because we actually want to use these characters. We're going to have Blue <laughs> Beetle show up in our comics and like team up with Sp- with Batman next week. So like you can't you can't ruin these characters for us. So just make them your own thing and d- you can do something else with them. So that's like the secret origin of uh, Watchmen. Interesting. But Peacemaker is the, uh, the is the is the comedian in the Watchmen comics. And that's kind of all he's done. He's the one character they really haven't brought Peacemaker into the uh, the Marvel or the DC like fold, right? You never see Peacemaker teaming up with the Justice League the way you right, see Blue Beetle right. or the Question um, in the modern comics. But this was uh, this was a, ca- a character that uh, over the last couple of years had been portrayed more and more within the comics, and they wanted to bring him into the film. Uh, James Gunn felt a real connection with. Uh, the portrayal of the character and so much so that he wanted to do a spin-off show. So we're getting a spin-off show with uh Peacemaker as well starring John Cena. Really? That's pretty dope. Yes, that's at the I uh, didn't know that. If you um stayed watching the movie all the way through to the end, the end credit scene is Damn John it, Cena I knew wakes up would... in a hospital. Uh, yep, it's uh, John, John I knew Cena there wakes was up a in a hospital. Scene. It's, it's just it's just so you know he's not dead so that when they do the uh the show that's on it going to be on HBO Max, the Peacemaker show, uh he's he's not dead. So shit, I've said before that like I watched a lot of these movies while I'm on the on the treadmill uh, and I was done with my run and I had already seen the the, the weasel mid credit scene. And I was like, yeah, that's probably it. And I just got off the treadmill and turned it off. No, there was one uh, more. There's one more where it. John Cena wakes up in a hospital. Um, he's going to go on. They he wrote the Peacemaker um, like script as like a like mini series for HBO Max um, just in his free time while filming Suicide Squad. And James Gunn, like, eventually, some way during the filming process was like, also, I wrote this show, if you want to do anything Damn. with it, not thinking they actually would. 
And then they were like, oh, no, we need tons of content for HBO Max. Sure thing. Like, <laughs> let's do it. What do you, you want to film? A Peacemaker show? Absolutely. So they've actually already filmed the entire Peacemaker show, and that'll be coming out soon on HBO Max. That's dope. There's not a lot of, like, fun stories from there about the making of this film. James Gunn was kind of just given the reins to do whatever he wanted, and he did. Uh, he created uh, a team of characters he was introduced with or is interested with. Uh, Polka Dot Man um was written specifically for david dasmalchin uh david went on to say that he actually uh, was born with vitiligo and so he really connected with polka dot man and like the like feelings he had of like his his powers being like uh setting him apart from the rest of humanity and kind of making him a little bit of a freak apparently that's like that's the way that uh he used to feel when he was a kid so like he he really connected with this character and i think he pulls a lot of the movie together in the way that he is the uh, like the heart and soul of the team to a point, especially yeah. like there's yep. the one point where uh, Milton gets shot, and <laughs> and he's the <laughs> only one who cares. He's the only one who remembers his name. He's like, uh, he's like I really like them, and and Margot Robbie's like like I really who? don't remember a Milton. She goes, that's not a common <laughs> right. name. Right, but very funny yeah. part. Lots of fu- like lots of funny parts in this movie. Where in the first one, I literally don't think I laughed once. <laughs> No, this this movie really pulls it off because it knows what it is from start to uh, end, and it just it continues that that one voice. When Idris Elba was initially hired, it was actually to replace Will Smith, so he was supposed to play Deadshot within this movie. Um, oh, but okay. late into the script writing process, they decided Warner Brothers decided they didn't want um, Will Smith to be rewritten as a new as a new actor in case this movie does real well. What if Will Smith wants to come back for the next one? And then we're writing him out, uh, so okay, we have sure. to we have to keep yeah, that open. Right. So, so Idris Elba became Bloodsport. Um, that's why Bloodsport's character storyline here is exactly the same as Deadshot's from the yeah, first with one. His kid. He just wants to do right and, by yeah, his daughter. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's because it was just supposed to be Deadshot, and then they were just like, "Well, you can't. You have to make it somewhere else." And he was like, uh, "Okay, Bloodsport." Um, Bloodsport was a character that showed up in a bunch of the comics that James Gunn had, and he was um, excited to take on the challenge of showing all the ways that his suit can turn into different weapons. Which I'd say was hit or miss uh, as the movie went. Sometimes it was cool to see him pull three things off and like click them together and make a weapon. And sometimes it was some weird like transformer shit where like whatever he pulled out would just like gizmo into a different form. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I thought that uh, I thought that Idris Elba. It struck me as that he sort of almost had to be like carrying the plot most of the time. They were just like when something needs to happen, they're like we'll just have basically Idris Elba tell everybody to go and do it and then like John Cena gets to be silly near him or right. like the only times where he gets to be a little silly is when Ratcatcher does something with him right i liked that uh the the character dynamic of the team on here because you had Harley who was separated for the whole time and then you had King Shark and you had Ratcatcher 2 and Polka Dot Man who were kind of like the weird uh like typical types of villains that you'd see on this team yeah um but then you had by putting uh, Rick Flag and uh, uh, Peacemaker and Bloodsport together, you kind of had three different takes on like the the uh, government army man, right? With on the team, and it was Alpha interesting Jock. to see that dynamic of how the three of them would work together. With um, Rick Flag being like the most like actual, um, real empathetic uh, person who's like diplomatic. And in his way, and there to, and would like, um, 
approach each situation with a a, a, a a caring attitude. And then you had the other two where Bloodsport was kind of like a mercenary for hire who would who <laughs> didn't really care about what he was doing uh, to the other people around him. And then Peacemaker, who was going to do any whatever was within the best uh, 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 whatever was in the best interest of the government and not ne- necessarily like humankind or like what was going to um, best affect scene, his, even his teammates on the team. Right. The scene he's, that he's there to do his job. Yeah. The scene that really sold this movie to me is near the beginning when they're going to quote unquote rescue Rick flag from the sort of insurgent army and uh, our Suicide Squad members just sort of systematically murder an entire village of people who, in the beginning, you assume are bad guys, uh, just because of the way they look. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they kill like a lady doing her laundry, and you're like, wait a second. And then they're just killing people over and over and over again in ever more exaggeratedly violent ways, until eventually you are absolutely certain that they're doing the wrong thing. And then, of course, it's confirmed that they're like freedom fighters, they're good guys. And you kind of look back at your... You know, you you look you look at Idris Elba and John Cena like you know the cat that ate the canary, and you feel guilty too almost because you're like you right. were rooting for them five minutes ago, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> you're like we did this, <laughs> right? There, no, no one in this movie is ever portrayed to be a good person, like all the way to the end. Like, yes, a couple of the characters have their heroic moments in order to save the day, but like even the the once they defeat the uh, the ultimate bad guy. They immediately remind you how careless these people are by just by when Harley Quinn calls uh, Bloodsport Milton. Right. Ref- right. Exactly. Which was the other guy's name. Yeah. She, she's already forgotten that the other Milton ever existed. Like these yep. are just careless, heartless human beings. Like they're not nice people. Nobody should care about them. Uh, but here we are. Um, let's talk about Starro uh, before we quit. Starro uh, was the very first villain of any Justice League comic ever. Um and he is a really interesting choice to show up in this movie. And I feel uh, like they pulled it off expertly. They totally pulled it off. I, I, When I saw the trailers, you know, and I saw that there was going to be a big starfish, I thought it would just be like a silly fun thing. But they really sold it as like a scary ass villain, especially when the Star- starfish are like eating the people's faces and stuff. I was like, holy shit. Star- I was like, how are they going to pull this off? Kind of like a... <laughs> Star in the comics always is kind of like a silly uh whatever thing but like it's if you really think about what he's doing like the starfish land on like super the comic is always like starro takes over someone in the justice league and then the rest of the justice league has to team up against them while that starfish is on their face right he's like mind controlling your your favorite characters and then in the end of it's unlike the uh the movie at the end of like the the comic they just peel the starfish off superman's face or whatever and he's back to normal right it's like it's nothing in the movie they're like no no no, that person's dead it's yeah, so that yeah, the suicide yeah. squad have a bunch of mindless zombies that they can just like shoot bullets into um which is fine <laughs> it makes for a great action scene uh but um they really like james gunn uh felt that starro was like a really scary character when he was a kid even though he's always portrayed as like a more goofy kind of silly character um he was really uh put off by how the facehuggers would just shoot out of Starro and like latch on to his favorite characters um, in like a way like it would happen in like the alien movies. And he thought that was, he said that would scare the crap out of him as a kid. So when he made he it was, scary, he mission accomplished. So when he was, 
Right. So when he was writing this movie, he knew that like DC had no plans to use Starro in any of the other movies they were making, and they would let him do whatever he wanted with it. So he really lived up to how scary he thought that character was as a kid. But at the same time, like you get giant purple starfish. Like it's it's, it's exactly what it is in the comics. Like it's uh it's it, this movie is so awesome in its ability to just be like, yeah, 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 we're going to take that really stupid thing. We're going to take Polka Dot Man's stupid costume. We're going to take Starro's big blue and pink stu- stupid body. Um, but we're going to like just portray it as this is this is how it is within this world. Like, of, oh, yeah, they totally dirty, uh, gritty government black ops, like uh, secret uh, death missions. And just you're just going to have to take this for what it is. Um, and they I totally the own it. Right? Juxtaposition like they... in style of like how uh, adult and gritty and violent the content is with how silly and colorful and stupid all the characters look is just is such an awesome uh, amalgamation for the rest of the film. 100% agreed. So so do we want to say where do we want to go in the future with this? Like we got the video game coming out. You know, we got the Peacemaker car, uh, spinoff coming out. You know, I would watch a third James Gunn su- Suicide Squad movie. Well, second James Gunn, but a third overall Suicide Squad movie. I hope they. Uh, I hope James Gunn gets the chance to make another Suicide Squad movie. From here, he is going on to make Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Disney has hired him back. So after being uh, attacked and uh, fired from that attack, he uh, got another... Uh, franchise out of it in Suicide Squad for with Warner Brothers, and he gets to keep Guardians of the Galaxy. So good job, he's been James, James Gunn. <laughs> it was being canceled was the best thing to ever happen to him. Uh, he, right. So he's he's moving on. He'll film Guardians of the Galaxy three. He'll also film the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special for I Disney Plus. Um, and then from there on, uh, he will be free to either come back to the Suicide Squad. Or um, I'm sure Marvel will want him to make something else for them. Everybody's going to want James Gunn. Uh, all he makes is hit movies. So <laughs> good job, James Gunn. Speaking of being uncanceled, uh, at the conclusion of the Suicide Squad movie, when um, Idris Elba is sort of petting the rat on like the helicopter that takes him out, uh, there's this um, song playing. Uh, I want to say it's called Busted, but it's, a, it's by a, this band, Culture Abuse. Uh, and they started off as like a hardcore band um, in like the hardcore scene, like super into. Um, and I saw them and I love them. And it turned out that the singer had done some like horrible uh, sex pest stuff. Uh, and so they broke up and it was like a big deal. Uh, and it was weird to see, hear their music in this extremely high profile thing. Uh, because at least in the hardcore community, culture abuse is a big no-no right now. They are, oh, they are not talked about. Well. Uh, good for you, culture abuse. You made it to <laughs> Suicide Squad. <laughs> Moving forward, uh, we do have the video game that's coming out uh, just on the horizon where you get to play as, like I said, uh, Harley Quinn, um, Captain Boomerang, King Shark, and Deadshot uh, on a mission to kill the Justice League because they've been mind-controlled um, by some character who is assumedly not Starro. Um, and then after that, uh, who really knows where they're going to go with this? Um, uh, Harle- Margot Robbie has said that she wants to keep playing Harley Quinn for as long as they will let her. Um, this is a character that she really feels that she loves. Um, she she uh, is not really saying where she's going with the character next. Um, but if they keep her playing it, um, I would be happy with that. 
I'd love to see again another uh, Margot Robbie movie where she meets the uh, the Gotham City Sirens and gets to team up with uh, Poison Ivy as she does in her own television show. Um, and if you haven't watched, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the uh, the Harley Quinn show on HBO Max, please go watch it. It's super great. It stars Kaylee Cuoco from The Big Bang Theory, and she's one of the head writers of the show as well. And it's just like. Um, a crazy love letter to all of these DC villains um, in a way that the original Suicide Squad movie did not get to <laughs> show off before this cartoon was created. Um, if you're a big fan of Venture Bros, Venture Bros is a spoof of a lot of uh, uh, cartoon comic book uh, lore, whereas this is that exact thing, but with actual DC characters. So go check it out. It's lots of fun. Um, where I'd like to see this go Make another one. <laughs> I don't Hell know yeah. what, what more to say than that. This movie is great. I really loved it. This might be my favorite uh, DCEU movie. Um, oh, when B- yeah, when for a- sure. When James yeah, Gunn was asked uh, what version of the DC universe is this uh, included in, he wasn't really sure. He said, this is within the DCEU, whatever that means. Uh, I, I have no control over who casts the next Superman or if uh, Henry Cavill is ever coming back or what the universe looks like outside of my film, but I made this film to be within the DCEU, whatever that is, uh, that's above my pay grade to decide what that means, but that's where this movie sits. So James Gunn doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, (laughs) James Gunn doesn't know what's going on with the DCEU. Uh, Hopefully Warner Brothers does. If they figure something out, bring him back, because this this movie was fantastic. Fully agreed. Uh, So next time, I think we're doing Candyman, actually. We're pushing Jungle Cruise back a little bit. Next time we we should be doing Candyman. Uh, we've we've been wrong the last two times. We told you what we're doing next, so uh, stay tuned next time for something that's not Candyman, I guess. 